Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. And so we're looking at the four cups, which are the four cups of the Jewish Passover, um, which Jesus partook of on the Thursday night when he was betrayed. And uh, we're looking at those four cups because each cup stands for a different promise. We're going to get into that next Sunday on Easter Sunday. But, but as, as far as, as, far as we're, we're talking about today, I just want to talk about that particular Passover meal that Jesus partook of with his disciples um, on the night when he was betrayed. We're coming up on a memorial of that very night this week, and I think it would be great to, to study exactly um, what it was that Jesus was celebrating and why it was so important. And so in order to figure out the why, you have to go back to the Old Testament. So we're going to have a scripture on the screen, Exodus um, chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses here. And this is the story of, of God telling Moses um, how he should institute this meal, uh, which we call the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, but the Jews call the Passover meal, the Passover feast. And this is the first time it was ever celebrated, and it, this was set up uh, as, a, as an ordinance for every generation of Jewish people, even still today. Uh, the Israelites are celebrating the Passover meal. And so uh, I, I thought it'd be good to read this from the book of Exodus um, to really begin to understand what Jesus was doing when he celebrated it with his disciples and what it might mean for us today. Uh, in verse three, it says, God says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, that's important. Uh, I don't know if you like to underline your Bible, but uh, that's pretty important. On the 10th day of the month, um, God set up a specific day for them to celebrate this, but he says, on the, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, uh, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, continuing on with verse 4. Having taken into account the number of people that there are there, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. That's because God didn't want them to waste any of the lamb. Uh, the animals that you choose, or the lamb, it could, it, it could be a, a sheep or a goat. The animals that you choose must be year-old males without defect. Uh, year-old, that's basically full-grown, about uh, 50 pounds at that point. The male uh, lambs, it, it would not have been Mary had a little lamb kind of lamb. It would have been like horns, you know, like the lambs would have, they, 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 would, they would actually be called rams by that point. A male lamb that's a year old is already reproducing oftentimes and nearly full grown, about 50 pounds with horns. Uh, you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Now, once again, that's important. So on the 10th day of the month, you select the lamb. And on the 14th day of the month, uh, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Actually, in the Hebrew, it, it, it means between, uh, between the evenings. Uh, most believed between 3 and 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, before it gets dark. Uh, and going on to verse 10, he gives a little bit of instruction in the next few verses about how to eat it. But then he says, don't leave any of it. Don't leave any of the lamb um, until morning. See, God, God doesn't like leftovers either. So that's, that's why I like this passage, because that tells me that I am godly, because 
There's only, the only good leftover is lasagna. That's the only thing that is better the next day than it was before. Lasagna is awesome. Anyway, uh, don't leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. All right, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, be ready to go. Eat it quickly. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Uh, this, that, that's, that right there is Rose's favorite verse in the Bible. Eat it quickly. Eat it in haste. Um, I don't. <laughs> that's how she rolls. And, uh, and Micah, Micah has not taken after you in that yet. Um, now, if it's something that he likes, he's definitely taken, taken after you. Go ahead, go on, go, on, go on to the next verse. On the same night, all right, the same night that you're eating this, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. I'm going to come back to that verse here in a second, but let's finish up the story. On the same night that you're eating it, he's, God's going to come down and kill the firstborn of all of Egypt. And the blood, okay, the blood from the lamb will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. So you're supposed to take the blood. I, I guess, I don't know if we missed that verse, but uh, you're supposed to take the blood and put it on the doorposts of your house. And the blood from that lamb will be a sign for you on your houses. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Um, go, go on back to verse 12. Go back to the, the previous verse here. And you'll see that on the same night that they, that they are celebrating the Passover, on the same night, um, later, later on in, in the text, he told them to eat it at midnight so that it wasn't just at the same night. It was actually at the same time. Um, that God was moving through the land. Uh, here, is a, here is a difficult verse for many of us uh, 21st century Americans to swallow. On the same night, I, God, will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment or justice on the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Um, many of us like uh, the baby Jesus. Many of us like uh, uh, the uh, meek and mild Jesus. Many of us like the Jesus who had kids crawling all over him and, and uh, telling them to love their enemies and to turn the other cheek. But this version of Jesus is usually reserved for the Sunday before Easter. So next Easter, we're next Sunday, we're going to talk about how much Jesus loves you. This Sunday, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty and uh, eat some toast and talk about holy things. Um, uh, this is this is this is this is kind of a little more abrasive. This is a God who uh, is bringing judgment, is bringing justice to all of Egypt. We're talking uh, about 12 million people uh, lived in Egypt at that time. Uh, most estimate there was about three million of them were Jews. About a quarter—that's a quarter of the population—were were the Jewish people. Um, so that's about nine million Egyptians. Uh, of whom every firstborn from every family uh, was going to be killed. God was going to kill them. Uh, they were just, their heart was going to stop beating. They were going to stop breathing. There was no explanation. And not only the humans, but also the animals. Uh, so the Bible says later on in this, in this chapter that, that when it happened, there was a great cry that went up from Egypt. I mean, everybody is losing uh, fathers, brothers, uh, sons, uncles, 
cousins, nephews. I mean, it says that every, there was death in every household. This is a sombering, sobering uh, story, right? This is, this, is, this is why it's reserved for the Sunday before Easter, uh, because this kind of God is not very palatable um, to us. This kind of God is a bit harsh. And if you were to just drop yourself into the middle of the story like we just did, we, we just dropped off in Exodus chapter 12, you might not really understand why God is doing this. Um, but the truth of the matter is, uh, that, that, that this act of just, justice and judgment came really after several, several, several acts of mercy. The truth is God um, sent Moses to uh, these people, to the Egyptians, and he encountered Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. God gave him an out. And uh, let, let my people go. You guys will be fine. My people will, will leave Egypt. Um, but he wouldn't do that. And nine plagues later, so many signs, so many warnings, so many chances for Pharaoh and the people of Egypt just to let the people go, but they wouldn't do it. And this, by the way, these, these 10 plagues that came on Egypt were after 400 years of the people of Israel being oppressed in Egypt. We don't actually know how long they were enslaved. They were there for about 430 years. We believe most of it was enslavement. Uh, they were originally kind of friendly neighbors and then the, the Egyptians got concerned about them and decided to enslave them. And, and really, uh, based on their ethnicity, uh, kidnapped them into slavery and spread them, uh, obviously in the land of Goshen is where a lot of them lived, but even spread them throughout all of Egypt. And, and it wasn't just any kind of slavery, it was harsh slavery. Uh, at one point, uh, one of the pharaohs decided to kill all of the male children um, of the Jews and throw them all into the Nile River. If you gave birth to a male baby, not just the firstborn, if you gave birth to a male baby, it was to be chucked into the Nile River. So we're talking about vicious, oppressive um, evil really. And, 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 and speaking of evil, uh, uh, the bomber is dead. Yes. Ding yes. dong, the bomber is dead. Yes. <laughs> Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought I'd just throw that out there to see what kind of reactions I get. Some people are like, oh, should we say that in church? Yes, dead. Dead is a fine word in church. Um, and bomber is also fine. Hey, if it's on your mind, am I, if I can't talk about what you're thinking about, maybe I shouldn't preach at all. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and talk about what, what's, what's going on. Because like last, this time last week, uh, I don't know if, if any of you got any Amazon packages delivered to your, your porch, but um, it, I, it was a little nerve wracking. And, um, you know, our kids are going out getting boxes. We're saying, don't open boxes. Let me look at it first. Let me, you know. And so even the kids kind of picked up on something's a little off here. Why are we afraid? Because even kids know it's not normal to be afraid to open boxes. That's not, that's not normal. And so all of us that live in Austin, especially South Austin, which is where a lot of the, the bombings were happening, uh, Central Austin, East Side, we have many people living over there. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it's, it is dangerous and it's scary and it's fearful. And so Sunday night, I mean, this is Sunday, last Sunday night, uh, you know, we just sat down and talked to our kids about what was happening. I don't want them to be ignorant. Uh, of, of the kind of world that we live in, uh, even though it's not right, even though it's not um, just, talk about injustice, talk about evil, uh, mailing boxes to people and blowing them up, that's evil, 
you, you should be able to open boxes without fear. You should be able to, to ride your bike through your neighborhood without tripwires. Like these kinds of things, is, it's, not, it's, not, it's not okay. And I don't think God thinks it's okay. And I don't think we ought to think it's okay. Uh, the terrorist who was doing those things, um, we, we began praying that, that he would be caught or she would be. We didn't know who or what, but that they would be caught. And we began praying for wisdom. I told my kids, I, 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 I don't want them to be ignorant of the world we live in, but I also don't want them to live in fear. So I just told them, man, that we don't have to live in fear because we serve a God who can do anything at any given point. And he asked his people to pray. And when his people pray, he does miracles. He does amazing things. And so I told them about a time when I was 11, I think I was 11, 1991, uh, I think is when uh, Timothy, Timothy McVeigh, some of you older folks might remember, drove down from Michigan, my neck of the woods. Actually, he lived about 30 minutes north of me. Um, he was anti-government, all this kind of conspiracy stuff. And he rented a rider truck, filled it with explosives, parked it next to a building in Oklahoma City, a government building, lit the fuse, walked away, just took out the whole, like half the building gone. So many people dead. I mean, up at that point, it was like the first major sort of terrorist attack. I mean, the, the, the news cameras were on it. The FBI was on it. And, and our little church up in Michigan began praying. And I, and, and I told my kids, I said, we began praying that God would help those who are in authority to catch this person who's responsible for this. And um, because God's interested in justice. God cares. The reason why you and I care about justice is because we were created in the image of God. That's why we like, that's, what, that's why Hollywood makes movies where bad guys get caught, <laughs> like, that's why, that's why, I mean, like, like, it's all based on our strong desire to see justice, and God is also concerned about justice. In fact, Revelation 16, uh, I, think, I, th I think I actually have that verse here just, just to help you, to help encourage you. Uh, this is what the angels are singing to, G to, to Jesus right now. You are just in your judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were for for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink just as they deserve. <laughs> that is, that, that's, that's the hill song in heaven. That's what they're singing, okay? They're like, yeah, you're making them eat it. And uh, they're, they're rejoicing in justice. They're rejoicing when God does what only God can do. And so um, I remember with Timothy McVeigh, like um, somehow they found the license plate, like it was crinkled from, from the rider truck. Like it had, it had blown like a mile or a mile and a half down the road. Somehow they found the crinkled license plate, if I remember correctly. And like they were able to trace it back to the rental where they saw, I think the fake ID that he used. I think that's how they got a visual on him. He got pulled over like somewhere North, like not quite in Michigan, but he was speeding and he got pulled over. And, and the police officer was like, uh, I'll be right back. And he called him back up and they caught him. It was amazing. I mean, how in the world, like, like I saw this week, uh, the uh, New York Times uh, said that it was a lucky break that helped investigators uh, find out who was behind the bombing. And I said, well, that's fine. If you want to call it luck, I call it something else. The church of God was praying for justice and justice happened. And uh, uh, the, the, the person responsible, the terrorist responsible was caught and he decided to end his own life. And that's unfortunate, but I'm glad he was caught. And I'm glad that 
it's over and I'm glad that it's done. I came downstairs on a, uh, well, well, Tuesday night or we've been praying every night and Tuesday night, JT texted me and said, hey, maybe the church should get together and pray. And so we put out a quick impromptu prayer meeting. Wednesday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting uh, for justice, really. And, um, and then Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning, God was hearing all the prayers. And anyway, uh, they, 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 they caught him early Wednesday morning and I woke up to the little alert. I mean, I mean, Austin was in the news everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like New York Times, Washington Post. I, walk, I, I wake up to the, to the alert. I go down and tell the kids. I said, guys, it looks like they, they caught the, 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 the guy who's been doing this. Um, you know, and I explained that uh, this guy tried to get away and then he figured he couldn't get away. And so he blew himself up. And, um, and Madden kind of was processing it. She's my nine-year-old, you know, and so she's, so she's thinking about it. And she's like, yay, prayer worked. <laughs> I said, yeah, sometimes it takes, sometimes kids don't have to be as politically correct as adults. Because we're told we're supposed to feel, oh, so sorry for, like, I remember when they, when they got Osama bin Laden. And, 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 and I had pastors telling me I needed to be sorry that Osama bin Laden died. And I said, what? You voted for guys who vowed to hunt him down. And when they finally hunted him down, now we're going to like be sad about it. like, no, like this is a victory for justice right here. This guy, I mean, this guy was not stopping, obviously. And he was just ready to take himself out before he gave himself up. And so let's, let's let it happen. And uh, I mean, you know, so sometimes just kids, they're just like, God did it. God responded. Now, I mean, I do have to say that I was a little conflicted because on the one hand, uh, justice was served. And, um, and by the way, kids also kind of recognize hypocrisy because Madden said, well, he probably knew he was going to get the death penalty anyway. I said, come on, somebody. Come on. This is Texas. That's what we, that's how we roll. And uh, it's true. I mean, it's true. There's no way that he was going to get a slap on the wrist. This is going to be, this is good. They're going to go for the highest thing they could go for. And so I say, yeah, honey, you know, that's probably true, you know. And, uh, but, you know, in, in the same time, I live with a certain tension of loving justice, of being thankful for justice, but also knowing that I serve a God of mercy. And our prayer for him was that, or her, or whoever it was, ended up being him. Our prayer for the bomber is that he gets saved, that he would come to realize the mercy of Jesus. And so I am saddened by the fact that he refused that offer, that he never even uh, uh, allowed anyone any time to share with him the mercy of Jesus from that point. And it's, and it's unfortunate because, because here's the thing, we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with justice. And this is almost what this passage is telling us, right? God is talking to his people. He says, guys, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to come into your land. I'm going to kill your enemies, right? And, 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 and nobody was like, oh, please, really, do you have to? Um, he's like, no, I'm going to take these guys out because they've been oppressing you and your family for generations and generations. I'm going to take out these enemies. And he says, by the way, while I, while I deliver you, I have to give you instructions to protect you from me. This is, this is what, this is what is so, so interesting about the story because God says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every single household in Egypt, but you're going to have to put blood on your doorpost. You're going to have to kill a lamb so that I don't come in and kill your firstborn. 
This is what's, this, because God's no respecter of person. It really, God is giving us a lesson in our sort of fragile relationship with justice. That it's a love-hate relationship. We love it when it's out there, but we hate it when it's in here. And this is why, this is why I think to some extent all Christians really uh, can't fully celebrate uh, when a bomber detonates a bomb and kills himself because we recognize that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be in the same situation doing some of the same awful things. You say, well, I would never do that. Well, but Jesus said, if you hate your brother, <laughs> you're guilty of murder. If you hate your brother because of his skin color, if you hate your brother because of his economic status, if you hate your brother because he doesn't look like you or sin like you, then you are guilty of the same thing. And so while many of us, we're not even smart enough to be able to pack something like that and, and, and figure all that stuff out, yet we send, you know, the same kinds of daggers flying toward several people and God sees it as the same thing. He sees murder within our hatred. And so, and so with, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be in the exact same hate-filled situation that we just want to lash out and take out innocent people. And so we understand, that we, 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 those of us that have been saved, we have an understanding that our love for justice is really, it's, it's tapered with this, this fear of justice, this, this need really to escape true justice. That if our lives were laid out, that if we were measured up against the holiness of God, that if we were put up against the test of, of the greatness of God, we would fall very short. We can't, and so, so there's, there's a love-hate relationship there. There's a tension there. And I'm using the modern day uh, bomber because it's, 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 it's the closest that you and I have got to living in some kind of oppression or some kind of fear, some kind of terrorist uh, here in, in Austin. But these guys, we experienced it for two weeks. These guys experienced it for 400 years and this was life for them. And God said, no, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to come against the thing that's been coming against you. But while I do that, I have to help you protect yourself from me because in my holiness and my justice you're going to need a, a way of escaping a way of a way of of removing not just the stuff out there it's not just the enemy that's been oppressing you that's the major problem it's the enemy within your own house Right? We've been talking about giants. We've been talking about giants for the past few, four, five, six, I don't know, eight weeks or something. And we've been talking about a lot of giants out there. But sometimes the most fierce giant in your life is your giant ego. It's your, your fat head. It's your giant. I mean, that's, what, that's what's taking you down. It's your giant need for approval. It's your giant sense of, of self-fulfillment that has to happen. It's your giant uh, uh, urges and your giant appetites. These are the things. Like, it's not always the stuff out there that takes us down. It's the stuff inside of our own house. And God says to his people, he's teaching them a lesson. He says, I'm coming through with justice, but don't think that, that you are pure in and of yourself. Don't think that you got it all together. You need something else. You need something. And that something was a lamb, was a, a year old male 
lamb, a full-grown male lamb that they, that they took on the 10th day of the month. You have to select him on the 10th day of the month. Take him out of the pasture, take him out of, from the cattle. Nowadays, they still do this. And uh, I, I read somewhere that they, that they tie them now to the end of their bed. Like they, like they tie a rope around the lamb and then they tie the, the, the rope to the, to the foot of their bed. <laughs> so, so that all night, bah, 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 bah. I, I, I guess it's just kind of to help them, you know, finally pull out the knife, you know, after four days. I mean, I'm just ready. We're just ready to get some sleep around here. But it, but it is a good question. You take them, you take them out, but where do you put them? Well, usually you put them in your house somewhere. And man, lambs and goats, I don't know if you've ever had any interaction with these things, but they love to butt heads with everything. They just, they're always crashing into something and jumping up on stuff. I mean, (laughs) your house is going to look a little different after four days of a 50 pound ram in it with his horns and he's he's trying to get out and he's trying to, I mean, these guys aren't pets. They're not trained. They're not potty trained. Uh, You're going to have little pellets all over, (laughs) all over your dirt floor. It's going to be rough. And he says, yeah, I want you to take this lamb, select him, and bring him into the house on the 10th day. And then on the 14th day, you're to slaughter it. You're to kill it. But you have to collect all of the blood. So you can't just do it in dirt. You have to do it on, on this particular tray so that all of the blood, none of the blood is wasted. All of the blood is poured uh, into these jars. And then uh, Moses commanded them to take hyssop branches, dip them in the jars, and paint hyssop. I think that's like oregano nowadays. It's a certain kind of, uh, 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 they, 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 use, they use it for essential oils. It's a cleansing agent agent and um which essential oils don't work so anyway uh <laughs> sorry ro and and noah no no that's that's not from the bible that's just my opinion i just put the little apostle paul uh, apostrophe in there um it's it, you know it's so so but i believe there's some symbolism to it because really that's that's their healing medicine that they had back in the day so maybe they do work noah and ro uh, but th- there's some symbolism into it and that these wounds from the these this blood is going to heal this blood is an antiseptic and so he said i want you to put it on the on the posts which are the sides of your doors and on the top of the doors to cover that whole that whole area with the blood of this lamb paint it paint it all red and he said so that when I see the blood if we go to that verse he said the the reason I want you to do this for two reasons I think it's verse 13 (laughs) uh, not Revelation 16 Exodus um, 12 I think it's 13 and 14 he says the blood will be a sign for you so there's there's two reasons why he says I want you to do this Uh, one the blood itself will be a sign to you uh, on the houses where you are. And then when I see the blood, that's the second reason, I will pass over you. There's an old hymn that, that says, when I see the blood. I don't know if you guys remember, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Because uh, Christians now see this, not just in the light of some, of some animal, but this animal is prophetic of Jesus. Because all of us, while we do love justice and we thank God for justice and we see God move in ways, sometimes exacting justice quickly in the earth, and we're thankful for that, for innocent lives that are saved, for people that are brought to justice, the truth of the matter is that we need mercy. We need mercy. 
We need the mercy of God. And these two things are not separate. God's justice and God's mercy, they aren't separate. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, all that God is does all that God does. In other words, when God is just, he is equally merciful as he is exercising his justice. And when he is merciful, he is equally just as he's exercising. He doesn't have to forget one part of himself. He's not like bipolar. He doesn't have to like swing from one extreme to another. He is entirely just and entirely merciful at the same time, which is why it's at the same time of night, at midnight, at the same moment that he is killing the firstborn of the Egyptians, he is also rescuing his people. And so the difference though is the blood. The difference is that on the house, of his people, there is blood on the doorposts. There is blood all the way around the doors, on the sides and on the top. The difference is the blood, and this is a sign for them. He says, this is a sign for you. You know, signs point you in, in different directions. They give you, uh, uh, you know, if you're driving down the road and you see a sign, uh, it, it, it informs you of how, of how you should travel. I, I believe that this red, uh, this red paint, this red blood is a sign. I believe it's one, it's a stop sign. It's a sign that before you enter into this house, you might want to think about if you want that to, to drip on you. Because, you know, they're slathering it up there and it doesn't stick. It's dripping all day. And, 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 and the kids say, uh, uh, Mom and Dad, uh, uh, something, something died up there. Uh, should, should, we, should, should, we, should we go in or should we wait for it to dry? No, it's a stop sign that when, that when your family comes up to the door, that they have to decide whether or not they want some of the blood on them as well. And this is God's plan for salvation, is that the entire family would be saved. That the entire family would pass under the blood of Jesus. That just like the lamb in this context, uh, was ju- it was a lamb, Jesus is called the lamb of God. Jesus is called our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5. He is, he, he is the fulfillment of this old typology. And the truth of the matter is, if you want the mercy of God, you cannot get it without the blood of Jesus. You have to have the blood of Jesus covering the entranceway of your heart, the entranceway of your mind, the entranceway even of your home. I, 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 I don't put stuff on my, act, like actual stuff on my doorway, but I pray that every single kid in my house and my wife would be covered with the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus, I mean, it's, 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 it's a stop sign. It, like, 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 like when other people are coming into our home or, or are coming into our lives and they're getting to know us, they need to know first and foremost that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. That everything you see in here is only in here because of what was applied out here. That when God saved us, like, like in, in, in other words, it's a sign that we don't, that all the life that's in our home or in our life is not a result of our wisdom, is not a result of our good decisions, it's not a result of our fine education, it's not a result of where we were born or who was our parents or who brought us up. It is because of the blood. Before you understand, before you come in and check out my life and see what life is here, you need to understand the only reason why there's not death in my home is because of the blood of Jesus. 
that it's, 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 it's at the front. It's at the entrance. I mean, at the very beginning, like on my Facebook wall, you're going, you have to, I, I, like that's because that's a modern front door. But, but throughout, throughout all of our lives, as people come into our lives and they start to experience and see the life that is in our family, the life that is in our church, the life that is in our small groups, the life that is in my heart, it's only because of the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that has kept the judgment of God from executing perfect justice over me. It's the blood of Jesus that has spoken a better word for me than the blood of, 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 of Abel, right? It's the blood that speaks for me. It's a sign that speaks to me, that reminds me that none of what I have is because of what I have done. That none of what I have is because of opportunities that were afforded to me. That everything I have is because of the blood of Jesus. That the, it is the blood of Jesus that protects my family. I, it's, it's, not, it's not even just spiritual. It's not even just forgiveness of sins, although that's the biggest thing. And a clear conscience and the ability to sleep at night because of the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and the ability to, to, to forget my past and allow my past to be covered by the same thing that's covering my present right now. So there's the, you can sleep at night. You can, you, you, can, you can put your shoulders back in spite of shame of things that you have done or haven't done or people that you have mistreated or people that you have uh, left and you have abandoned. In spite of stuff that would normally create death in your home, the blood of Jesus allows you to clear your conscience, to cleanse your mind, to, to cleanse your past, to cover your past. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And so it is the blood of Jesus that repaints. Like, I don't know what color your doorpost was before Jesus, but after Jesus, it's red. You know, it repaints. It covers over the old paint so that the old moniker of you or the old version of you or the old outside of you no longer looks like it used to look, but not because of your wisdom or your strength or your ability to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. It was your decision to apply the blood of Jesus, to cover, to paint over whatever color used to be there. It's the blood of Jesus that does that spiritually and emotionally and mentally. It's the blood of Jesus that, that protects us even. I plead the blood of Jesus over my home and actually over every FedEx box and UPS box that is coming into my house. Like I'm, I, I am calling on the blood of Jesus because the, it is the blood of Jesus that brings about protection for me and my family. It's literal protection here. I mean, this is actual physical protection that God is promising. He says, look, I'm coming through the camp. I am literally going to kill people. But if you have the blood on your doorpost, death or destruction will not come into your home. And that's, a, that's something that you can claim for yourself. That's something you can believe in. I'm not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you. But I am saying that, 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 that nothing outside of God's will can come under and through the blood of Jesus. Everything that comes to you has been checked and scanned and, and, and approved of with a seal of approval by your heavenly father. The blood of Jesus is the stop sign. It's the thing that, that, that stops demonic oppression from coming in. It's the thing that stops uh, uh, mental oppression from coming in. It's the thing that stops sickness from coming in. Scripture says that it's by his stripes or the, the bleeding of his back that we are healed. And that's true spiritually. That's true emotionally. It's also true physically. It's what stops sickness from coming in. The blood of Jesus has to be applied 
to the doorpost of our life. Not our physical, not just our physical homes, but our, 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 our habitation right here. It's the blood of Jesus that, that recolors us. The thing that would, that would cure the racial divide in our country right now is if we would all just be painted one color. <laughs> the problem is we haven't all been painted one color. We still see various shades because we haven't. But, but he said, this will be a sign to you so that a true Christian doesn't see the color that used to be there before it was painted. The true Christian says, you are my brother, you are my sister, I don't care what you look like. If you're covered by the same thing, I'm covered by. So you're red, I'm red, awesome. <laughs> it's, it's the blood that covers, it, it, it cures all racial divides. It, it takes care of prejudice, it takes care of racism. It, it wipes it out because it has no space for it anymore. And, and I mean, hey, I, I can see your background and I can see how your background and my background are different and I can, and I can understand that and that's fine. But, but when it comes right down to it, we're both from the same family because we're both the same color. We're both red. We've both been covered, been painted. The, the doorpost of my life has been painted by the same thing as the doorpost. It's a sign to you. You'll know who's a part of your family by who's red and who's not. It's a sign to you. It's a sign that you haven't done it on your own. It's a sign that you couldn't do it on your own. It's, a, it's, it, it's, ba it's essentially you saying, my righteousness is not good enough. My goodness is not good enough. My strength is not strong enough. I need a covering. I need something else. I need the blood of Jesus, the powerful blood of Jesus. It is, it is a sign also that something has already died. That's why he said that when I come to your house, I won't come in and kill anything because when there's blood on the door, it shows that something has already died in there. <laughs> At the exact same moment, God commanded them. He said, okay, paint the doorpost of your house. And then at midnight, when I'm passing through and I'm passing over you, you are not to be sleeping. And then this is what I, I'm afraid many Christians, this is what we do. We, we paint the doorposts of our house. We accept his mercy. And then we call it a night. And we call it a day or call it a life. Been baptized? Check. Okay. Okay, kids, time to go to bed. Whoo, thank God for his mercy. This is great. We're not going to die tonight. But, but this, 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 is, this, is, this, is the, this is not what God wanted. God said, when I am passing over, when I am passing through your town, at the exact same moment, I want you to be inside eating a meal. What, well, what do we eat? Well, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and the lamb that you killed. If you only apply the blood of Jesus to the outside, to the exterior of your life, but you never ingest the person of Jesus on the interior of your life. If not, in, in, like in other words, if you just apply the blood, but nothing has died in you, in you and you haven't realized the power of the blood of Jesus. Which is why he said you can't just like, like, 
you, because think about it. The amount of blood in a goat would be a, a lot. But he said each household has to have their own, their own massive jar. But if you're actually just trying to put some blood on, couldn't you just kill like a couple of goats, pour them in all these little 12 ounce bottles and everybody's able to do it from one, from one or two or three or four. I don't know. They just get a few goats. Like, does each house really have to have their own? Yeah. Because something has to die. Something has to die. That there has to be some death inside for the blood to be applied outside. In other words, the blood of Jesus is a stop sign, but it's also a yield sign. That when you come under the blood of Jesus, when you apply it to your life, you are yielding to the will of God. You are submitting to the will of God. You're allowing that thing that's been in your house for the past four days, you're, you're taking a knife to it. That thing that's been in your heart causing all that chaos, that thing that's been busting up all of your relationships and that keeps you constantly on edge, that anger inside of you, that, that, that giant that we've been talking about, you're, you're, you're putting that to death. You're killing it. There has to be some death inside of you. At the same time that there is blood on the outside, God doesn't just want people who learn how to look different. <laughs> he doesn't just want a fresh coat of paint, you know? It's not his goal to get all the doors red. It's his goal for his people to partake, to ingest, to take into their own bodies the body of Christ. And so we're going to take up communion here at the end of service. And if you are a Christian, uh, you're welcome to take that with us. JT and ushers, if you guys just come ready. Um, we, we, we practice open communion that if you're a part of the body of Christ, you can take communion. Um, but if you're, uh, some, some churches you have to be the denomination or Catholic or non-Catholic or whatever. We, we just say if you believe in Jesus and if you're trusting in him, let's, let's hold, hold off on passing that just, just, just a minute. Poppy's on it. She's ready. She is, she's, she is in haste. She, she does the whole row, haste. I like it. It's a good job is a fast job. Um, but but, but if, if you're here today and you say, I don't know if the blood of Jesus applied to me. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Well, that's easy. I mean, it's easy to start, but it's difficult to get the knife out. But it, but it starts by saying, Jesus, I want your blood applied to my life. I need your mercy. I need your salvation. I need you to come into my life and change me from the inside out. I need your blood applied to my life. You say, well, how in the world can we apply the blood of Jesus that was shed over 2,000 years ago? The actual blood of Jesus, how, where is it? It's over in Galilee somewhere in the dirt. <laughs> it's pavement over it now. And how do we get to that blood? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews that his, his, his offering, that Jesus offered himself as a priestly sacrificial atonement, he offered himself according to the eternal spirit. So when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood and his blood poured down that cross, it was through the eternal spirit. Eternal is not limited to time and space. 
In other words, his blood is still available to us 2,000 years later because it's still in eternity. It's still through eternity. And so it is through faith in an eternal God and in in the eternal efficacy of his eternal blood that we receive that on the doorposts of our hearts and our lives and our families and our homes and our kids can partake of the blood of Jesus. We don't believe that these cups hold actual blood. It's just Welch's grape juice. But the blood of Jesus, is, it's, it's an eternal thing. So would you bow your heads and just close your eyes with me for just a minute. If you would like to receive the blood of Jesus on, on your life, and then the person of Jesus in your life, would you raise your hand with me and just say, that's me, I need to receive the blood of Jesus. I want to be covered in the blood of Jesus. That's awesome. And the Bible gives us the protocol for that. Jesus, uh, the, the Bible says that, that if, 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 you, if, if you repent of your sin, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. That's the blood coming and cl- not just covering, but cleansing the two things. So Father, right now we confess our sins to you. You can name them specifically if you, if you like. Lord, we, we did them specifically, so we might as well confess them specifically. We confess our different sins to you. Lord, reveal to us the sins that you want purged and cleansed out of our lives. We confess those sins. We say the same thing as you. We agree with you that we need your blood. We ask for you to apply it to our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to take communion with us, um, Poppy, now you can go ahead and uh, pass that out. We have some bread and um, the juice is over there. Um, kids can take communion as well if they, if they like, if they understand what it's about. This is a type and a shadow of, uh, of the body and the blood of Jesus. Some 1,400 years after, after uh, God passed over the people of Israel, Jesus in Luke 22 was taking this supper uh, with his disciples and he was we call it the last supper but it was really it was the Passover meal that he was celebrating what's interesting is today we celebrate Palm Sunday which is the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, the Bible says that he rode in on the 10th day of the month if you remember the Jews were supposed to select a lamb on the 10th day of the month and the people clearly selected Jesus they cut down palm branches and said blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord they welcomed the Lamb of God into the house of Israel and for four days Jesus stayed within the vicinity of what was then called Jerusalem because he had to stay in the house for four days furthest he went uh, was Gethsemane. It's the Mount of Olives. It's overlooking uh, uh, Jerusalem, and it's considered to be a suburb of Jerusalem. He stayed in the house for the four days until four days later when they laid him down on a cross. They killed him between 3 and 5 p.m. <laughs> on the 14th day, of the month of Nisan. Just as they were going around killing 
several lambs, every house was slitting the throats of the lambs. They laid Jesus down on the cross, nailed him to it, and his blood poured out, not just for one household, but for every household. Jesus actually took the Passover on Thursday night, and there's a lot of discrepancy as far as if they were, if they were getting ready for the Passover on Friday, why did Jesus take it on the night before? And um, there are three different main scholarly explanations. Um, I think the most fascinating one is the fact that uh, the Jews in Jerusalem um, reckoned time differently than the Jews outside of Jerusalem or the Jews from Galilee. Jesus was celebrating the Passover according to the Galilean time. And the next day would have been the Passover according to the Jerusalem time. Um, it's an interesting thing. But anyway, they, on the day, on the very time that they were killing the Passover lamb is when they killed Jesus. And it has so much significance for us, thank you, as a, as a church, that we come before him. Let's take the bread right now. Jesus said, as often as you eat this meal, do it in remembrance of me. That this body, this is a symbol of his body, which was broken, torn up for us. So we each have a little piece of the same bread. And in the same way, God's body was, Christ's body was crushed for us. Uh, as often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of him. Let's go ahead and eat that right now. Father, we thank you for your body that was perfect. It was sinless. Like that like that ram, that year-old ram. There was no imperfection in you. Yet you were crushed so that you could cleanse out all the imperfection out of us. Or may we, may we take not just your blood, but may we take your body into our lives. May we take your perfection. May we take your holiness. May we take your purity. May we ingest in our houses what we have placed outside of our houses. May we not just get a fresh paint job. May we not just learn how to be religious, proper, and correct. But may we be filled. We can be proper and still hungry. <laughs> Yeah, we can be proper and still starving. But it is your body that feeds us. You said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats from me will never hunger again. Lord, may we eat from you daily. Satiate our hunger. In Jesus' name, amen. After this, he took the cup and he blessed it. Uh, you, you have a little portable cup there you can peel the top off of. Um, Oh, you will have a portable cup, which you can peel the top off of. There's a fake piece of bread in there um, that we don't eat. But um, after this, they, uh, he took that took that cup. There's a couple of layers, so it can be a little confusing. Um, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, uh, which is symbolic of his blood. 
You had the blood of the goats, which, which, which protected the people of Israel for that one instance. But every single time they sinned, they needed more blood. That's why goats and rams were given their lives for years and centuries. But Jesus is God's lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb that would be permanent in his cleansing. That wouldn't simply cover, but would cleanse. Wouldn't simply change the way we look, but would change the way we are. This is the new covenant. The covenant that says, you are not what you need to be. But if you, if you receive me, I'll make you what you need to be. I will change you from the inside. I will, I will change your desires. I will change your heart. I will change your mind. I will change even your personality. People will look at you and say, I, I don't know what happened to so-and-so. That's because of the blood of Jesus. So would we drink of that right now? Let's remember him as often as we drink of it. And Father, we thank you for the blood. Thank you for this covenant that you've made with man, this way for you to connect with us and make us right with you. It purifies us and cleanses us. In Jesus' name. The, uh, if we go back to the first verses of this Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 says, I want you to tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbors. This is my challenge to you. I believe that every church in Austin is too small for a Jesus-sized lamb. Every house, every house of worship is too small. Because there are one point, what, 1.8 million people in greater Austin. And uh, there are 600,000 people that identify with some kind of church in general. <laughs> Every church is too small. Every church has to double in size just to begin to reach, at least just to begin to reach the growing population. 175 people move here every day. And the household is too small. So God's ordinance is, if, if your household is too small, you have to share a lamb with your neighbor, your nearest neighbor. In other words, the one you live next to, the one you work next to, the one you brush shoulders with. And that's why we put these cards on every seat. Not because I thought every seat would be full on the Sunday before Easter, but because I knew there would be a lot of empty seats. And, and I want you to see how small the household is. How many empty seats? How much of the lamp must be shared? 
You can't leave any of it until morning. You can't waste it. You can't have all of the presence of God and Jesus and keep it to yourself. You have to.